Hey everyone, welcome to Ricard Reading. This is Nick here. Uh, we will maybe have some new followers. Uh, if you are listening to this, of course, this is the Tragedy of Macbeth, the Scottish play, the Forbidden play, whatever you want to call it. The one that is cursed. Ooh. But also, uh, it's a good discussion. Now, uh, this is coming out now because of the movie, The Tragedy of Macbeth, and its Academy Award nods. It's also worth note, of course, that I do a movie podcast, and there will be people from that movie podcast here, so thanks for also reading, I guess. But uh, if you like the show, please like, subscribe, share, and thanks. Welcome to Required Reading. This week, we're talking about uh, Bill Shakespeare. i never heard of him. <laughs> uh, we're talking about Macbeth, the uh, tragedy of Macbeth, the forbidden play, the Scottish play, whatever you want to call it. We're not acting it, so we'll refer to it as the actual name. Uh, we're doing this, of course, in honor of what will be, probably by the end of the month this comes out, an Academy Award nominee, to one degree or another, uh, the tragedy of Macbeth done by Joel Cohen, starring Denzel Washington and everyone else, uh, Francis McDormand, <laughs> Donald Gleason. <laughs> One of the Dudleys from Harry Potter. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, anyway, incredible cast, incredible movie. We'll probably incorporate it because mm-hmm. it's entering the lexicon again as an Academy Award winning film. But tragically, Mike Burns didn't do his homework last night. So, <laughs> How did? Please. Uh, <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure he would do the same to me. What a panel we have. Mike Carroll. And? Betsy Holcomb. Back again. I don't have to introduce anyone. Uh, here are back catalog. You were here for Flannery O'Connor. That's right. And you've just been showing up every time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've just been kind of coming up, you know, can't get rid of me. That's right. Uh, so if you want to hear him again, uh, Kids Books, and mm-hmm. you were also on your dissertation, I mean, uh, Beowulf, <laughs> uh, as we went into Beowulf. Yeah. So I'm sure, well, first and foremost, we all know the play very well. We've done it before. Have you ever had to teach it? I've never taught it. I've read it a couple of times. I've read it in, read it in high school, read it in college, read it in grad school. But I never, I've never taught it. Do you remember when you first learned it? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, it was my sophomore year of honors English for Mr. Klein. Shout out, Mr. Klein, <laughs> up north in Boston. That's funny. Here, where we teach, it's where I went, so it's a very small world. Mm-hmm. But we used to do a Shakespeare play a year. I don't know if you still do. So I did it here. I believe I did it in Mary Beth Cox's classroom. But yeah, no, it's it's an incredible play that you know again learned in the middle of high school. Did you? When did you do it? Yeah, my uh, remember in high school, and I was we were talking about earlier theater, and I um, remember they did it while I was a student, and I just remember the only thing that stuck with me was the Scottish accents. <laughs> but then in college, I had the chance to be in it, and I was one of the witches, which was. Um, what I think was my the beginning of me falling in love with the play, mm. and then. Um, at my last school, I taught it in a class that I created called Theology and the Arts. Um, and so actually, I would kind of pair it up with Breaking Bad. And so wow. I would, I mean, you know, it seems to me like such Super a really cool. a really cool connection. So we would teach it, or I would teach it, we would learn it thematically, we would sort of delight in it. And then actually, I was able to take students a lot of times to Shakespeare Tavern here in Atlanta nice. and actually see it live, um, which was a gift. So yeah, it's my favorite. Is it your favorite? So, uh, I teach, I teach Romeo and Juliet in eighth grade. And I think just because of how, how well I know it and from teaching it the last nine years, I think that that's probably, that's probably, if it wasn't before, I think it has become, uh, my favorite play, Romeo and Juliet by Shakespeare. But I think, uh, I, you know, maybe you were like at the table next to me when, when Macbeth was at Shakespeare Tavern, Jeff, uh, 
well, at this point, gosh, it was probably like six years or so ago. Yeah. But I, I've seen uh, Macbeth performed at Shakespeare Tavern, and holy cow, is it awesome. It's yeah. really, really cool. Yeah. I mean, frankly, as far as my favorite, the one, and again, I know it's good. I, I can't do Romeo and Juliet because everyone does Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. And so for me, the fun things are the ones that aren't done as often. Uh-huh. I think of the, I guess, his genre, uh, royal people do stupid things. Uh, <laughs> It's down to this in Hamlet. They're very close. Yeah. I like King Lear a lot. I mm-hmm. like Richard III a lot. Mm-hmm. The Henrys I haven't actually ever seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but probably my favorite are the comedies and specifically the the, the kind of fantasy comedies. I like uh, Midsummer Night's Dream a lot. Yeah. I yeah. like The Tempest a lot. The Tempest, yeah, for yeah. sure. We don't study it as often. And so uh-huh. when I first studied it in a dystopia class, mm-hmm. it was just incredible. Like, it's, it's very mm-hmm. funny. It's very weird. Yeah. So I, I kind of like his weird stuff more. Mm-hmm. But, like, this is just high drama. I, yeah. I love this play a lot. Um, and I'm excited we actually get to talk about it. Uh, especially since, again, referencing the movie. It's a nice. It's less than two hours. Yeah. It uh-huh. moves real so quick. So fast. Yeah. The dominoes are just falling for, yeah. like, the first ten minutes. <laughs> and I was – and just in general – Considering the language being distant by about mm-hmm. 500 years almost, mm-hmm. I understood it. You, you, don't, yeah. you don't have to necessarily have, I mean, no offense, you don't have to have an English teacher take <laughs> yeah. you through it. You get the high emotion, you get, right. the, yeah. you get the plot progression, you're like, hey, that guy's wearing a fancy hat. Oh, no. Yeah. And, it, and it just moves, uh, yeah. which I appreciate yeah. as well. Um, so, Teach, uh, you want to take us through the plot a little bit? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the and I, I think if if you're okay with it, that I really liked the way that uh, the way that the play kind of opened up. So the yeah. particularly the this, uh, and I, I I think Nick, I I had kind of mentioned this to you just in passing. Wanted to save it a little bit more for <laughs> a little bit more for the podcast, but uh, just the way that the that this particular production opened up, I found absolutely riveting. Uh, and it's it, it starts with this with kind of like this scene and the the lines of fair is foul and foul is fair and so you you kind of get the impression from from the very beginning uh specifically of this production that things are going to be kind of like off kilter things are not going to be originally what it is that they seem and so after they correct me if i'm wrong i think but in the like the visual in this production they have those letters and they're just in black and white mm-hmm. and then they kind of fade out and you you're kind of like open on this scene where you're looking at a bird which we don't know at the time but ends up being one of the one of kind of like the ravens uh that's that are very visually and also thematically super present in the play um, but you're looking at this raven, but you're far enough away that it almost looks like you're kind of like looking up at it through the through the mist and through the fog and through the clouds. And then as the fog starts to dissipate a little bit, you realize that you're not actually looking up at this bird. You're actually super high up and looking down. And then the, the fog kind of like clears out of the way. And what you thought was looking up, you're actually looking down and then and then you can see kind of the the human characters that are down below. And so I just thought that it was this awesome way of kind of opening into a play where things are not always what they seem, huh. where just right there in the opening the opening shot, you realize, wow, things in this are not going to be what it is that they seem. Right. There's already these main elements of the play where, you know, we're not sure who's seeing what, who sees the dagger, who doesn't see the dagger, yeah. who sees the witches, who doesn't see the witches. Uh-huh. But you're exactly right that as a film – they've added all these extra elements that that continue that theme i love that yeah really really cool too because I, I i do feel like having seen different productions and different movie versions and different different kind of adaptations of the play 
I don't know about you guys, but I always find myself kind of like sitting on the edge of my seat as like a couple of moments come up just to be like, okay, what are they going to do with X, Y, Z? You know, like what are they going to do with the dagger? Is there actually going to be a dagger? What are they going to do with the ghost? Is there actually going to be a ghost? What are they going to do with the witches? Are there going to be three? Because in this production, there's, well, kind of, kind Kind of three with like a little bit of a reflection, you know? (laughs) Exactly. So like coming up to those moments, I just find myself like on the edge of my seat, just kind of like waiting waiting there for, for, ooh, what are they going to do? And that's kind of what I, I really thought that in those moments, they were kind of playing with your anticipation of those mm-hmm. and did some really cool stuff yeah. in those moments, I thought at least. Well, and, I, I and, and again, like, it's also hard to do Shakespeare because as a play, there's sometimes no reason for someone to walk in and out of a scene. Right. <laughs> but they do a good job here. It's Scotland, so it's foggy all the time, mm. and yeah. the fog hides everything. And so you have people like cresting hills, and then the scenery reveals itself. It's a, exactly the fog of war. Right. But we just have, like, we know as much as the king does, as Duncan does, uh-huh. as Duncan does it, mm-hmm. and, you know... Donald Gleeson is just there looking like, oh, good, it's my it's my side has returned. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's, it, it's, it's just, it's so well done as, yeah. as we describe it. So, mm-hmm. um, I think the choice to be in black and white yeah. um, mm-hmm. was really stunning. Um, and there were many instances throughout the entire film that I loved how they used shadow. Mm-hmm. I loved how it simplified things quite a bit for me. Um, I... I the the whole you know design of or what use of shadow the use of a very just a simplistic set mm-hmm. felt to me like it just only highlighted the beautiful text and yeah. the, the uh-huh. way that the actors brought it to life yeah. so I mean it is nice to kind of see the way they they interpret it mm-hmm. this these choices were yeah, yeah. unique and and surprising and it was yeah, really for great sure. I agree well and I mean. Again, like what happens? You have the, I mean, first act we can, we have, we, we do eventually have to talk <laughs> about that. Okay, so, so yeah, right. So we, we meet King Duncan and they're in war uh, yeah. and he hears that Macbeth is, well, I'm going to butcher the line, but slain someone like from the top to the bottom, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. So we, that's really the first, I think, thing we learn about him, yeah. but we don't know much else. They're, they're, and, um, and then, and we've got the witches right at the uh-huh. beginning too. So yeah. we, we learn early on that they're, going to have some kind of influence and i love that it's always open-ended yeah and unclear fully how much influence they have but that they they kind of uh, are present mm-hmm. at different scenes maybe all the time maybe we don't know well and i mean obviously at one point or another they become kind of the conscience they're kind of crows literally peering yeah. down on him but also the metaphor of well the problem with fortune telling is it what he was going to do do they actually mm-hmm. put the ideas in his head or are they really just, you know, the old, he's playing with the idea of the old Greek chorus, yes. right? Are yes. they telling us what is, what's going to be, or are they actually affecting events? Yeah. Um, I mean, again, we, we, from the very beginning, we have the, the crows, we have kind of a weird ethereal feeling. You mentioned the black and white. I thought it was an interesting choice that it's in four by three. It's not in yep, Cinescope right. or it's uh-huh. not widescreen. Yep. Um, so it feels like an old film strip you probably watched mm. in the 70s when he was in yeah. high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but we resolved it by having a dude who's wounded, an unnamed sergeant, going, Macbeth and Banquo, one. And then he collapses. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. It, it, it also has a production, and again, it's very good, but it's almost staged like a high school play. You have three yeah. people mm-hmm. standing very awkwardly. Someone comes up, it's like, I'm slain, thud. And she's just like, well, help him. Yeah. Let's, let, let's wait for some witches, mm-hmm. uh, which is great. But we have to talk about the witch scene. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's so crazy. <laughs> it's incredible. My gosh. Yeah, it's this, like, this, like, contortionist who's who's delivering the lines. And the, and the 
the lines do say stuff so adherent to the, the text, too. Um, and the, so you get the, the trochaic lines, the double, double, toil and trouble, dot, dot, dot. What dot, is dot, trochaic dot, mean? Dot, dot. Okay, yeah, awesome. <laughs> so, so a little bit of poetry here. So the, the stress, unstress, stress, unstress, as opposed to, like, mm-hmm. the iambic that we hear all the time, but soft, but light, yonder, window breaks. It's normally that, like, that heartbeat, that, that very kind of beautiful heartbeat, ba-bum, 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 ba-bum. Um, that Shakespeare used so often, it's kind of the exact reversal of that. So you get the the da 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 double double toil and trouble. Bum, bum, bum. So you get the stress and then the unstress. And when it's when it's used in that in that kind of meter and in that way, typically while while the the iambic pentameter is kind of used in order to replicate a heartbeat that that dun-dun-dun-dun, and then along with the rhyming couplets that are being used there, a lot of times it's used in order to kind of like create a trance or in order to kind of enchant. Oh. Uh, so so no no mistake why or no no kind of accident why Shakespeare would, would want to use that trochaic language. It's actually really similar language to in, um, in the Odyssey, which we used to teach in eighth grade, but in the, the moments when Calypso is speaking um, to, when Calypso is speaking to to, um, to Odysseus, uh, also speaking in trochaic, I believe it's rhyming couplets as well. Um, mm-hmm. And so you get that that kind of like enchantment as Calypso is trying to get Odysseus to stay. And so you, you get kind of like this enchanting language that's that's yes, so yes. powerful and, and used by the witches. So. And I, I, we should, I guess, Jack, since we're talking about her specifically, her name is Catherine Hunter. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's associated with the Globe Theater. She's won Olivier Awards. I saw her do a version of King Lear where she was King Lear. Oh, very cool. Um, cool. And I will say to that point, uh, we have Lady Macbeth played by Frances McDormand, and both of the women, they kind of androgenize them. Like even mm. Lady Macbeth has the line, make me a man. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that scene, sex me here. Yeah. Yeah, right, exactly. Like, And they, they dress her in a very much more kind of, you know, an androgynous way in that yeah. scene. And we have this witch who also is not particularly feminine. She's... They're, they're, they're said in the, the places they have uh, mustaches, I think. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so so I think it was nice to see the depiction of that. Not literally a mustache, but right. the androgynous. But sure. I mean, because what, what's interesting is then when they play against other characters in the scene, Lady Macbeth later on, when she is more feminine, or um, Macbeth himself, where he's very hyper-masculine, mm-hmm. it plays off of them both ways, mm-hmm. which is neat. Yeah. <laughs> it is neat. Um, but... She's also. You can't emphasize enough the contortions because yeah, right. when you do it with, you know, less less choices made, it is almost a bubbly kind of parody. Like right. this is terrifying. Yeah, um, <laughs> for sure. Unsettling. And, yeah. And it's, it's reminiscent of <laughs> Ingrid Bergman and Swedish <laughs> neorealism, right? Like the idea that you're playing death in right. some way, right? Like uh, the seven seals, what I'm thinking of, but it's black, white, stark. Yeah. And in some ways, again, she's almost a uh, antagonist, but not really. Cause she's not the one doing anything. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but the camera tricks here are incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think on, and on top of that later on in the, in the production, she also plays the old man. So the, oh, the kind of it's, it's the that. same actress that's playing the oh, that's playing man. the old man later. So talking about kind of like blending those lines and blurring those mm-hmm. lines between masculinity and femininity and what that means in in the play. But then also quite literally, you're visually blurring those lines by then later on having having the female playing the old man character. It's it's kind of it's it's doing that same it's doing that same blurring mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. 
Um, so the witches say, hey, guess what? You're going to be king. Yeah. And he's like, that sounds awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, and then the, so Banquo's right there too. So Banquo mm-hmm. gets a, a foretelling as well mm-hmm. that he will not be king, but his his children will be yes. here. Someone, his, you know, mm-hmm. his progeny will be. Um, so it's interesting to me to see, um, especially in the movie production, how Macbeth takes this prediction and runs with it. And yep. Banquo is sort of like, hold on. This is I'm mm-hmm. nervous about this. Do we trust it? What do we do with it? But then, and I was telling Nick this earlier that I, I really felt like the momentum picked up so early on, and I just, I don't know if I just felt it differently in this particular production, or if it's there the whole time, um, in every production. But I, yeah. I felt it. I felt this mm-hmm. like early, this momentum so so early on. Dominoes start falling. Well, and I mean, you know, we we think of movies in three acts as a five act play, but this first act just flies by mm-hmm. and it's really not until we get to the castle i mean the rest of this act is essentially uh macbeth expects some sort of reward for doing so well mm-hmm. but someone didn't participate in the battle at all becomes the crown prince mm-hmm. right right mm-hmm. and he's left to the side he feels left out and that's when he's like you know maybe i should be <laughs> the king um Smash got, they were at the castle. Yeah. They were literally mm-hmm. at the castle, and it moves on from there. Right, so he's staying at Cawdor, and he's going to welcome the king, King Duncan, to his home. You're right. Um, but the, I, I just loved the jealousy, that uh, the way that it was played, that Denzel played it, uh-huh. um, of Malcolm. Uh, it was just great. I also love the character choice for Malcolm, the actor choice, because he just seemed sort of like, his whole facial expression seemed very, like, innocent or not quite, like, as aggressive as other yeah, as, as you might imagine. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Well, and I mean, it's it's uh, Brendan Gleeson, one of 40 Gleesons in Hollywood. He's in uh, he's Mad, uh, Mad Eye Moody in the Harry Potter movies. And right. For those mm-hmm. of you who, who like movies, um, which I've is... never seen the movies before. <laughs> That's true. That's so bad. I know. It's our, maybe I'll be on the podcast for those. I don't yeah. Know. You yeah. Do one. yeah. We'll, we'll definitely do Harry Potter at some point. Um, which is funny because uh, uh, Dudley is also yes. He's the Crown Prince, mm-hmm. but. But when you get Brendan Gleeson, you get a face that just looks like, you know, he's fought hard, he's done a lot of drinking, a lot of... Right? I mean, you believe him as a king who's near the end of his life because he's rugged. That armor looks heavy on him in a way it doesn't on Banquo or Macbeth. Mm -hmm. Um, And... I will say, too, it's black and white, so you can't see the color, but they do a great job of using the color spectrum of grays mm. in this. Yes. The armor's incredible. The gowns are incredible. Mm-hmm. The blood that we'll get to in about yeah. 30 seconds yeah. here <laughs> is incredible. Uh, yeah. But Act 1 ends with them at the castle, him telling his wife, hey, you know these, <laughs> the witches said the craziest thing? Right. Right. I should kill Macduff, and, or, um, I should kill Duncan. And she's like, you should definitely do that. Yeah. Yeah. Scene. And isn't, yeah. this, isn't this where we get the first reference to her saying like you should be a man yes is this early yes. on mm-hmm. right and so i love this this theme of of manliness or being you know manly and mm-hmm. um, and how it's kind of used to manipulate people or motivate people in a manipulative way and then it gets kind of flipped um later right. on which I, I can't wait to get to yeah, as well. yeah we're, it, and again the neat thing about this it's an hour 45 it's flying quick. by yes. and the next scene it's like well let's all go to bed and duncan is Chill it out, and Macbeth comes in and. Mm. Yeah. What yeah. did you think? This is because usually in the play, I think this is done off stage. He just runs out with blood on his hands. Yeah. Without the daggers mm-hmm. at first, right? Mm-hmm. So what did you all think so, of them so actually b- depicting? Before before we get to that, I want to talk about the dagger because the <gasps> dagger scene the is dagger. so incredible. Yes. Wait. And do we spoil it? Do we? So I. I 
Do it. Do it. We're we're just going to get into it. We're just going to get into it. Yeah, it's super, super cool. So the the way that the dagger scene has, well, I guess we could say, like, all right, if you haven't seen it yet, pause it now. And then go (laughs) and watch it. And then come, right? Isn't that what they do in podcasts? Isn't that like podcasting? We know what we're doing. We know what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and again, this is a 500 year old play. Yeah. So, Duncan Duncan does die. Um, Yeah. What? Okay. But but yeah, so So the corridor. you're, You're walking down this long corridor. And and you 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 first you get Denzel's face and he seems to see the dagger and it's all the way at the opposite end of the corridor and it's floating there just like it is in so many other productions and this was like this was the first moment where I was saying before like the edge of the seat moment's like what are they going to do with XYZ well I was totally curious what they were going to do with the dagger scene and of course Catherine sitting right next to me as we're watching this Catherine who is a ninth grade teacher here and also teaches the play of of Macbeth and we're like getting excited like oh what are they going to do with the dagger scene and of course we see this like this little shimmering light there and then as Denzel continues to go through the go through this uh, through this soliloquy of is this a dagger I see before me and he's getting a little bit closer and he's a little bit tentative and he gets a little bit closer and then the, the bright shimmering dagger is a little bit brighter and he's a little bit closer and then he continues to get a little bit closer and you you can kind of like almost see the like the decision being made as he's making his way down this long corridor he's progressing through his thoughts exactly yeah. until he gets to the end of the corridor ah! and he reaches for the dagger and it's not a dagger it's the handle ah, to the door so cool. to the bedroom of the king yeah. And what better yeah. representation than like this this moment of opportunity, yeah. this like dagger of opportunity? That then he just like in one fell swoop clutches the dagger handle and rips the door open, and it's just like this. Wow, I, I have never seen right. a dagger portrayal like that, and it was it was fantastic. Because it was one of my favorite moments. When, when you have us, me too, and because when you have it's a soliloquy, right? Mm-hmm. When you have these things, it's really just us as the person sitting in the seat getting inside the person's mind and so to have there also be even if it's just walking down a corridor yeah there's something like physically that he's doing mm-hmm. was just stunning and then it, it's this reveal on reveal right and they, because they're playing off this fact that you know the as they're writing this and as they're they're shooting this they know that you're going to be eager to know like yep. is this actually going to be a dagger is it not yep. and right when you make that assumption like oh, okay it is a dagger that's when once again just fair is foul and foul is fair we're flipping everything on its head you think it's a dagger and it's actually not and mm-hmm. it, it's one of those it's one of those moments in Shakespeare too just like just like when uh, you're making a decision with the production when you have a dagger or if you don't have a dagger just like you're making a decision with with things like in um, in Romeo and Juliet in the in the the tomb scene if there is the ghost of Tybalt there or if there's not uh, the 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 ghost that that appears in Hamlet are you going to show the ghost do you have the other characters reacting to to the ghost and the the ghost scene later on is is something that that in in Macbeth as well as they're making a decision there as well but you you need to make a decision with the dagger just like you need to make a decision with the ghost in Hamlet mm-hmm. and I think that their choice to associate this dagger with the opportunity of opening so up cool. that door that handle was just so awesome yeah. well and there's there's as you mentioned since this is soliloquy he has to be doing something and mm-hmm. the actor's thing is, what does he do with his hand? Well, he's actually flicking a blade at the time. Like, oh, wow. So he already has oh. the knife. And so the question is whether or not he's going to go through with it. Yeah. He's got the weapon in his hand. And over the course of the, the little the soliloquy, his expression changes. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. at first mm-hmm. he's very, not dour, but he's unsure. Mm-hmm. And then right around when he says, it is the bloody business that informs my mm-hmm. he's smiling. Yeah. He mm-hmm. knows what he's going to do. Yeah. And 
that's great. And the other nice thing about the knife as mm-hmm. the door handle, then it's always in the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. Right. Because mm-hmm. we see that room a bunch, and that yep. handle is in the background a bunch as though it's his, you know, his guilty conscience. Yeah, uh-huh. When it's there, it's not a hallucination anymore. Mm-hmm. It's literally a physical act of something. That, yeah. yeah, it's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. And so he get, enters into the room yep. King, where King Gungan is sleeping. Uh-huh. And this is, I think, from the productions I've seen offstage. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but we get this, he's sitting on Duncan's bed, and Duncan, I think, opens his eyes and sees mm-hmm. Macbeth. Mm-hmm. And as he puts his hand over his face, mm-hmm. and then I put my hand up in front of the screen because I didn't want to see it. And I'm not normally very mm-hmm. like sensitive about those kinds of things, but it just felt, because it's always off stage, it sort uh-huh. of felt like it was wrong. I'm not yeah. criticizing it. Yeah. It was an interesting scene. I just, yeah. it was shocking to me a little bit, well, which is crazy because it's such a violent <laughs> Well, but it allows <laughs> it to also play with light and dark a lot. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. yeah. as he's walking to the corridor, the corridor has these kind of arches. It's, mm-hmm. it's almost like an aqueduct. And as his as soliloquy goes further and further, he's less in light and more in shadow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When we get to the room, the room is pretty bright. You know, it has the four-post bed with, mm-hmm. the, with the curtains drawn, and they're all white. The stabbing is on a red bed, mm-hmm. and then the blood pools on the yeah. floor, and uh-huh. it is black. And trips off his fingers. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. And we get a kind of... And again, it's all in the lighting, because all of a sudden, Duncan is dead. But... He looks young compared to the very old Macbeth all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. And, and the whole rest of it, you're going to have lighting on Macbeth looking older mm-hmm. and frail and mm-hmm. confused. Mm-hmm. And he's going to be bested by a younger man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and not just on not just on Macbeth visually, but also in this production on Lady Macbeth as mm-hmm. well. Lady Macbeth, the, you can see kind of the, the spiraling into the whatever you want to call it, madness, insanity, age. <laughs> it, it, it really does. It really does kind of play with 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 that quite a bit and i thought that also just visually from the start of the play having a a particularly visually older looking characters of Macbeth and Lady Macbeth did some really interesting things as well. It almost made it seem as though like this lust for power, it's almost like, well, it's about darn time, you know, like that these are the things that I've been working towards all of my life. And now these are that I've been working towards all these things. And you've been talking so much about how like it seems as though things are going so quickly. And I think that it does once kind of that first domino is put into effect. But but visually, it's almost like you you the of course, obviously, the the vision visual play starts with with the witches but it kind of gives you the impression that this is kind of like a whole this this, this is a whole lifetime that's been leading up to this and then it's kind of all happening now in the snap of a finger (laughs) yeah and mean and that's where this play feels the most different from hamlet because hamlet is always Mm -hmm. a younger man who is impulsive Mm -hmm. and it's all crumbling down around him and you know essentially he brings around his own end very quickly Mm -hmm. uh for this you do, and the, and the movie sets it up, but the play sets it up too. He was passed over by a younger person, yep. yeah. even though he should have all the glory. Yep. Mm-hmm. He's a man who is frustrated in this. Um, but I also like too that, uh, you know, we can ask this question. I don't know that we have an answer, but how much is he influenced by being told by the witches that mm-hmm, he will right. be king? Mm-hmm. So um, I love that that supernatural element um, that I think leaves us wondering what kind of guy was he what's really happened before this right. in order for us to be set up mm-hmm. uh, for, for, for so, such a quick moving 
quickly dissolving <laughs> a yeah. person. Yeah. Uh, so so he goes in and he kills Duncan. We get that great scene. I think there's also so, so much beautiful language in the play of white, the colors white and red and the contrast mm-hmm. between those two. Mm-hmm. Instead of have the black and white showcases that white, as you said, with the light um, mm-hmm. so beautifully. And then we get this the great scene. He goes back and talks to his wife and he has blood on his hands, uh-huh. right? <laughs> Literally, right? I just, you know, these interactions, the push and pull of the two mm-hmm. of them is, mm-hmm. I just, I never get tired of, of, of these scenes where it's just the two of them because where one is not sure, the other one steps right in mm-hmm. and is, is sure about mm-hmm. what to do next or, or how, how to proceed. Well, then, well, we killed one guy. We, we got to kill everyone. Right. He kills yeah. the guards. And then, <laughs> right. and then it just, it tumbles down. Yep. Uh, and she practically slaps yep. him and goes, don't be a coward here. We got to keep going. And because yep. there's even the tears running down his face. Uh-huh. It's, it's Denzel and he can act like right. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And then he, and then he kills the guards and then like is totally on display afterwards. And looking at Lady Macbeth's face, she's like, you did what? Like, like you, what were you thinking? And of course, he's now he's kind of like he's performing now. Now he needs to. He's they're they're bought in on this, and so he 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 delivers the he delivers kind of like his excuse for for why it is that that, that he did that. Of course, but it's but like looking at her face, she's like, what? Where where are you going with this, bud? Where, yeah. what's, your, right. where what's the end game here? You know. And is this the scene where she faints to like distract? Yes, yes, yes. Which is such a a kind of iconic moment, um, I think, for the play. It didn't, uh, it wasn't like spectacular, but I think it's an important plot point that, you know, the two of them continue to work together to manipulate people and what people see and what they don't see and and what they believe. And what another, what another powerful manipulation of, of, Femininity and masculinity yep. to her, where it's oh the frill, yep. the frill, and, and this is fresh off of the scene where he, where she is essentially like stormed out of the room in order to like fix the mess that he's made in a lot of ways, and now so so visually the audience knows that this is this is anything but the frailty of woman. This is yeah. this is an empowering and manipulative mm-hmm. uh, kind of like the the fainting that's taking place. Remind me, if we can get back to we're just going back a little bit for when Lady Macbeth has that scene where before Macbeth returns and before the before the royalty come to their house, where she's saying, unsex me here. Mm-hmm. Um, that takes place in the film on a on her bed or partially in her, in, room in her bedroom. Room. As, as she says the thing, halfway through the soliloquy, she lies down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, uh, the way we did it in the stage production I was in is the witches sort of w- entered into the background and we're sort of around uh-huh. her as she was doing that. Yeah. But I just think, um, again, this, this um, question about how uh, present the witches are and, uh, and as we talked about, like the fact that they can shapeshift into animals mm-hmm. that are commonly seen in yeah. everyday life is, is just fascinating. So mm-hmm. I just, Lady Macbeth, can, yeah. And, and yeah, this portrayal of her was amazing. Yeah. Um, send the act. Yeah. Uh, Duncan's sons flee mm-hmm. to England and Ireland. Um, and Macbeth is king at the end of Act Two, so he's doing pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, but we should end here, right? I mean, that's all he wanted was just to be king. We're good, right? Yeah. Uh, Banquo is like, hey, there was more to that prophecy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and he's so suspicious of Macbeth. Effectively, is how it ends. Um, but Macbeth is like, well, I got to kill Banquo now because he suspects too much. And Act Three is like, let's have a dinner scene. Yeah. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Which is not at all suspicious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but 
his uh, Banquo's son is there. He has to be killed. And, like, there's literally these two merry murderers that yeah. just know Macbeth yep. that are going to just go around and start slaughtering folks, mm-hmm. which is uh, kind of how it goes. Um, Macbeth hires two goons to have him murdered. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's then a third murderer who checks to make sure the job is done. Yeah. Pri- prior to that, though, there's Banquo's soliloquy, and the way that it's visually shot is it's in, like, this crazy tall, like... Like I, I don't I don't even know how to describe like cathedral esque room and like there's light that's coming peering down but if you look at like the actual camera shot it's actually actually at a Dutch angle it's actually like a little mm-hmm. bit askew which typically is kind of an indication that like uh, something's just a little bit something's a little bit off here which is so representative of of what Banquo is is kind of talking about in that soliloquy as well. Mm-hmm. So it's it's one of those really cool moments where the cinematography kind of reflects what it is that's going on with the text there as, as Banquo is delivering his soliloquy. I thought it was really cool. Well, and again, how many soliloquies are given in like almost high school light? Like they're mm-hmm. in front of, they're, they're lit, everything behind them is dark. Mm-hmm. There's weird lighting coming in, but it's so masterfully done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Mm-hmm. I want to know how big these sets were, because sometimes yeah. you uh-huh. have a character walk in who's this big, and the shadow stretches. Uh-huh. And it's just, it's it's remarkably done. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but again, I, at this rate, we're going to do the whole play in real time, yeah. which is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, essentially... The murder's killed. Yeah, well, well, everyone's killed. Yeah. Let's just do that. Uh, Banquo is murdered. Uh, his son is murdered. We mm-hmm. have this... That Banquo's son is murdered? Mm-hmm. Oh, Fleance. Yes, he's, he's not. I'm getting confused. <laughs> no, no, I'm not trying to... I, yeah, excuse me. I just want to make sure I understand. But, yeah, Fleance everyone's escapes. murdered. Yeah. Fleance he's escapes. escapes. The murder. Yes. I, and I was confused by this in the film. There's yeah. a scene with like an old man... I guess is now the witch. With, I didn't realize. Which was the same. I believe it's the same. Yeah. That if... if yeah, I am, right. IMDb as I was watching it is is accurate, which oh, I'm sure. assuming that it is. It's the same. Uh, it's the same actress that plays the the witches from before. That's right. So I just I, I just never tire of the story surprising me. Uh-huh. I know what's going to happen. I know every plot point, but uh-huh. I still just love following through with these surprises. So uh-huh. Fleance, so the murderers are supposed to kill Banquo and Fleance, but Fleance, the one thing, right? It's yep. still, the prediction still holds true mm-hmm, right. from the witches with Fleance escaping. Right. Fly, um, Fleance, fly. Right, yeah. I think it's, yeah. <laughs> it's very uh, Tolkien. Yeah. yeah. Um, but Macbeth, that's when we see the witches the second time. Yeah. yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, actually, we know it's the witches. The witches get scolded kind of for uh, interfering. Mm-hmm. They're not really interfering. At least they, that's what they say. Um, but he, this is where we get more into, of the thir- of the fifth act, which is mm-hmm. enough to come in. Ugh, mm-hmm. so good. It is. It's so good. I, I, I don't, I'm curious, and I, maybe y'all can fill in some gaps of knowledge here, but I'm, I'm fascinated by what Shakespeare would have understood hmm. about demons and evil forces. And, um, you know, that I think is what makes the play kind of great to uh, watch around Halloween. Uh, uh-huh. But I, I, you know, I, I, I struggle with how to make sense of what it was for them or how it can still exist now. One of the big differences I would say between Breaking Bad and Macbeth, because I think there's so many similarities. Uh, I hope it's okay that I'm bringing it up. No, because I love the connection. I love, I love, I love the connection. It. But I think is, you know, there's actual witches who are mm-hmm. there sort of and evil forces. Whereas now uh-huh. I think we, we would quickly sort of say like, well, that's just power hungry. That's just, mm-hmm. you know, a desire for, uh, to, to control people or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a psychological kind of thing. Yeah. But here we've got actual embodied physical evil. 
Uh-huh. Well, you're our English expert, but I mean, I would say the idea of having what what here they're shapeshifters, which mm-hmm. is not necessarily in the play depending on how you interpret it. Mm-hmm. But the idea of having a soothsayer or a fortune teller as part of the royal court is, I mean, it's common. And I mean, Reagan had fortune tellers in the White House in the eighties. Yeah. So <laughs> let's not go crazy. But like, so I would imagine that the idea that there was some link to the supernatural would have been there. Um, but it also makes it almost like a fable as mm-hmm. well, mm-hmm. right? Like it allows there to be morality because, I mean, and who knows because it's Shakespeare and some people don't even think he's real because they're stupid. But, <laughs> I mean, this, if I recall correctly from my order of things, this is written in the, like, shadow of the gunpowder plot. So there was this uh-huh. real idea that someone could bring down the government with an explosion. Mm-hmm. And so he's taking this stuff also very seriously. Yeah. Um, there's not a lot of humor in this one. No. <laughs> which there is even in Hamlet. Like, th- th- this is a very bleak poem, comparatively, which mm-hmm. makes it move, but it makes it very dark. I guess yeah. the only comedic thing is the porter. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the porter scene comes... Which they did include. Of, they, they, they did. not always, but they did. And it wasn't very long. I feel like they cut some of it, but uh-huh. it was still there. And it, you know, I've seen it really, like, slapsticky. Yeah. You know, and this mm-hmm. was not that. No. Um, but it does mention equivocation, yep. which... Mm. I am like now I can't stop thinking about equivocation. Yeah. So equivocation, the idea that you like conceal certain information. You don't fully say or answer a question someone mm-hmm. asks you. You sort of answer it in a way that only reveals certain things. Mm-hmm. And I can't stop thinking about how that touches so many of the characters, so many of the interactions that they have together, mm-hmm. the witches, Macbeth, Lady Macbeth, mm-hmm. I mean, just so many of the characters. Um, I just think it's it's fascinating that it's sort of hidden and embedded in this, mm-hmm. what could be considered like a just a comedic relief. We need a drunk porter who's talking about alcohol and sex and, uh-huh. you know, but, but no, there's like, there's some really cool stuff that's, that's embedded in there mm-hmm. too. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, in this production played by the great Stephen Root who is also this year in Book of Boba Fett and the guy who loses his stapler in office space <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I realized that I yeah mean, he's fantastic yeah. I mean he because he comes in and he's playing it kind of drunk but he's also kind of knows a lot mm-hmm. he's like really ribbing people and mm-hmm. you get the feeling that everyone involved has no time for his nonsense yeah. and that's mm-hmm. again like you said, I can understand why you'd skip the scene, but here it really ties together how everyone's right. on like a knife's edge, mm-hmm. which is mm, perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we're flying through here, guys, but this play, we, we got it. Cool. otherwise yeah. we'll never finish. Right. Yeah. Uh, Act four. Hey, look at that. McDuff's a coming. Mm-hmm. And they warn them that there's a the, he is safe until Burnham Wood comes to the hill. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, that makes no sense. Thanks, right. ladies. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. And no no man of woman born will harm Macbeth. Yes. That's the other one. So uh-huh. what a great – I mean, I just – equivocation, right? He, right. There, it's – And of course, we we in the audience – and this is for all versions of the play that you're, that you're watching. I mean, you, you know that you're watching the tragedy of Macbeth. Mm-hmm. So there's something a little bit tragic in the fact that, that like, Macbeth – doesn't even seem like concerned at all, despite mm. the fact that like the entire world around him is crumbling down. He's like, oh, sweet, cool. No, I'm totally fine. Like, like he just buys in, and I don't know if it's just that blind optimism mm. or what it is, but he's like, no, 
listen, I'm fine. <laughs> there's there's no way that there's going to be anybody that's going to be that that's going to be able to that's going to be able to kill me since in the person needs obviously the person needs to be born of woman, so I'm totally fine, like and totally not concerned with it. And there's something a little bit tragic about that too, yeah. where we in the audience are are waiting for that that shoe to drop, where it's like, okay, well, we 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 know we're watching the tragedy of Macbeth. We know we know you're going down, and it it, it becomes such such a, a tragic a tragic kind of like entirety of the play as you're watching this and you're like, Oh gosh, buddy, like, why are you buying so much into these witches? Like, let's be a little bit more hesitant like Banquo and and kind of like not quite buy in as much, you know, let's be a little bit more hesitant. You know, we also have to put down the fact that he's now kind of comfortable with everything, which is getting weirder and weirder, right? uh Which which you alluded to, but like his first murder really bothered him. The Mm -hmm. rest, not so much. We're introduced to the witches here as sitting up in the rafters. And then like a talking baby's head is talking to him. And this is weird, but he's just like, but what should I do? Yeah. Not really. Like he's not doing anything other than processing information which you shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. This is weird. Yeah. Um, and they do a really good job of raising the absurdity. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the Steve Martin rule. The, the, if you're going to make it absurd, the first thing has to be the most absurd. Her as the mm. witch at the very beginning, <laughs> absurd. you get everything. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But here, he's looking up, he's looking down, he's looking up, because they're surrounding him with this nonsense. Right. Yeah. And they just keep saying, beware. And you're just... Right? Like, it's so well done. Right. And the plate, even reading it off the page, when they're repeating, beware of this, beware of that, it has a rhythm to it, and he's like, I got this. Yeah. You, you're, he's in control of nothing. At this right? point. Nothing. Absolutely. Nothing. And yet, believes he is in control of everything. Yeah. It's, it's his flaw. Right. Um, yeah. There's too many casts. We better start killing them off. Oh, uh, mm. well. <laughs> are we, yeah, are we to Macbeth, Macduff's family now? Well, why not? We're, we're, we're near the end. We can get to uh, the, the end of the fourth and beginning of the fifth where everyone starts to die. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have a dance scene, an oh, important yeah. witch dance sequence. Oh, my gosh. Excuse me. How, how could I? Yeah, we can't skip this because, you know, we talked about the dagger, but there's mm-hmm. also beautiful choices here. So, right, so we know there's a ghost. And yeah. also, I am curious, either on mic or off, if either of you believe in ghosts because I think it's a great <laughs> question that the play – and I think – just that being haunted by someone, by your uh-huh. actions, by something you've done yeah. is so resonant with me and mm-hmm. it keeps me coming back to the play. So there, there's this dinner scene. Right. And, I mean, what happens is he's like, well, we just have to kill McDuff. That'll mm-hmm. that'll solve everything. Yeah. Uh-huh. Hey, hey. And we have the scene where everyone's at home and there's a peaceful, oh, no, everything goes horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, of course, McDuff gets away. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, they just slaughtered the wife and child in what looks like a lovely suburban house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, so we that that tips off Macduff that I should go get Macbeth, right? <laughs> Who yeah. otherwise would not have entered the movie, I guess, right. or the play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, no, obviously, I'm I'm still I'm like just processing and, and just back with the 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 ghost presentation mm-hmm. with the I think if I'm not mistaken the 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 ravens the birds kind of like come in and they're he's like yeah. all fluttered around and mm-hmm. that that's the, 
I know I keep talking about like the moments that like I as the viewer keeping like, okay, what are they gonna do with this? What are they gonna do with this? What are they gonna do with this? Whether they show the ghost or not, because it's we know that we know Macbeth sees the ghost. So it's always the question of, well, does anybody else see the ghost? Because if nobody else sees the ghost, then maybe Macbeth is going crazy. Kind of similar to the ghost in, in Hamlet. Right. Um, so if, if nobody else sees this ghost, like how, how are we going to explain the fact that Macbeth is, 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 is either A, going crazy, or B, he's not going crazy, you know? And, and, and so much of that can be determined by the representation of the ghost. Right. And so the fact that they, they were able to kind of, like, play it off with the ravens that were kind of, like, in and fluttering around, and then it go it flies yeah. out the window, oh, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. And it's, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, well, so, so that's how we explained it. But at the same time, this ghost then becomes this representation mm-hmm. of the fates. It becomes this representation of the witches. And th- I, I just, I'm reminded of like the contortionist still in the, in the beginning and how, how like a bird, like almost that is. And, mm-hmm. the, and then these, these ravens that are just kind of like hauntingly around, just as you're talking about the ghosts, these ravens that are hauntingly surrounding and kind of like overwatching this, this story as it's taking place, almost as, almost as though they're kind of like lurking and waiting, you know, and it, it, it's, it's this, this moment where the witches in this aspect of the supernatural can kind of like embed itself in the play. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, that's really cool that they've heard that they kind of like played it off in that way. And in, in, in some way kind of like wove together the witches and the fates and the raven and all at the same time explained, okay, so this is, this is why it is that he's acting the way that he is. Right. Mm-hmm. So I will also say uh, the, the, the undulation and stuff also reminds me of water and there's so much water in the sea. Like, again, uh-huh. I mean, Lady Macbeth having her breakdown out damn mm-hmm. spot, and she's yeah. oh, yeah, at yeah, the yeah. pool. I mean, his second visit with the witches, what they say would be where Macduff, he's also looking oh. into a pool. And the beginning reflection that yeah. we, with when we first meet the witches. Turning one witch into three, right? Yeah. You get the, the one and then the reflection. And, the and, it, right. and, it, and they're like rippling. And yeah. I mean, again, it's, it's, it's excellent imagery as we kind of watch. Um, you want to spoil the ending? I <laughs> yeah. mean, so... <laughs> yeah? So we've, oh, well, I mean, gosh, we lose... So Banquo loses his no Macduff loses his family. Yeah. All uh, my, and then finds out that he and we've got this character and I didn't realize until I was talking to Catherine that this same actor who plays I guess plays both Ross and who's yes. the other character? Uh, uh, is it? Uh, he plays these two Lennox. different characters, which again is Lennox. Yes. Lennox. And yeah. so you know we've got these smaller short smaller characters that function to like reveal things and communicate things throughout play as it's traditionally on stage but then this character in the film is kind of collapsed into one and ends up looking like like a puppet master behind the scenes Uh of so much of the drama that's happening which i think is really cool again almost like a connection to like game of thrones when you've got characters who are doing things behind the scenes yeah 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 yeah. um so i I think that's really fascinating his clothes are also very strange i wasn't really sure what to make of that Uh i wasn't sure if that was a shakespeare thing so we we get this revelation that macbeth mcduff and all of his children and wife are killed Uh and i thought the delivery that the, yeah. That speech was stunning mm-hmm. um, to really hear the grief. Um, and, and also we get, you know, the, throughout the whole play, Lady Macbeth is saying, Macbeth, be a man. And Macbeth's like, all right, I'll be a man. I'll do all these terrible things. <laughs> and then we get this one scene where um, I believe it's uh, a Malcolm who says, all right, Macduff, be a man. Yeah. Take this knowledge. And he says something like, 
I am going to be man. I'm going to grieve. Give me a minute. Yeah, yeah. So flipping what a that on its head is such mm-hmm. a great um, a subversive moment. Yeah. Um, so I just really, I loved that in the midst of all the tragedy. We get like a human moment. Yeah. Where we've got a contrast to Mac- Macbeth, who's like not it living in what mm-hmm. we see as reality and, and seeing all these these terrible things. Well, I mean, literally the next, uh, we, we have uh, Lady Macbeth out damp spot, yep. and yep. she's losing her mind at this point. <laughs> um, I do like how they figured out how to have people listen to her. Like, she's essentially in, a, in an even, like, a dressing gown. Like, she, <laughs> she's in her PJs, her hair's everywhere, yeah. and she's screaming at the top of her lungs yeah. in the garden. And people are like, oh, she's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Looking out at her, <laughs> which is fantastic. I um, love the use of sleepwalking in the play. I think yeah. um, the idea of not being able to sleep and being, mm-hmm. like, uh, unrested. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if y'all talk or walk in your sleep. I do. And it is, <laughs> it's terrible because uh-huh. I don't know, you know, I'll wake up, someone will wake me up in the middle of it, and I feel embarrassed that I don't know what I did or said. I mean, mm-hmm. So I just think as a, a use in the play, it's such so stunning to get inside her mind where, because she's so, what's this great line about, um, the false, uh, uh, the, where they're talking about uh, showing certain things and then deceiving other people. False heart doth yeah. know. What's that one? False face doth hide. What false heart doth? Uh, I, I can't remember the doth know. There's I, this great line yeah. in the play that, that someone who's listening to this is like screaming at me yeah. and like get it right. But it, but it, it is is revelatory of yeah. the the falseness. And so we get her walking around just just completely yeah. not rested, not at peace. Right. Mm-hmm. No, it's true. And we are also entering the high fantasy of them literally moving the woods. Yes. Right. right? Which uh-huh. they did so well in the film, I thought. Yeah. yeah I agree. But, like, the, this is also you bringing that line up with Malcolm and the, or, um, Macduff about, give me a moment, we have to figure this out, is completely opposed by Macbeth getting actual advice. There's 10,000 people out there yeah. uh-huh. from Satan, uh, Seton or whatever his name is. Mm-hmm. And he completely ignores him. He's getting real advice. Yeah. Uh-huh. Because at this point, he's also completely broken with reality, mm-hmm. um, which is great. And as he looks out, all we all we get are like scenes of his own demise. Right. right? And I think that that's the that's the thing that uh, as uh, I, I think, and it was a couple of days ago that I was watching it, so I, I don't remember exactly, but I, I remember talking with Catherine, and one of the the moments that we were talking about that. Is, is kind of like an important moment that they did rely on the witches and rely on the fates is that moment with the fulfillment of the, the walking trees, right? That, that it's one of the reasons why Macbeth thinks that he's safe. Mm-hmm. And, and yet in this version, you never quite get that moment of like recognition, like as these trees are walking forward. Now, granted, he is, He's so bought into this prophecy that he, I'm sure, would be like, oh, I'll be fine anyways. As long as nobody is, is not born of woman, I'm still going to be okay. But you, you still, in, even in this version, you still lack that moment of recognition. And that was one thing that, that Catherine was talking about, too, was that we, we, we lack that moment of recognition when, when Macbeth actually sees, like, those trees walking forward. And you... And, I think part of the part of what ends up happening there is you never quite get that like light switch moment, and Macbeth in this version never has it. He no. never well, he never it, really realizes it. Right, and but I guess I also one of the things I love about it is that is he as a character not at that point in his life even able to be like experience redemption and mm-hmm. experience reality. His wife killed herself. Or right. Catherine mm-hmm. even said it was implied in the film that she was killed. Yeah, and he yeah. just he sort of like. I, you know, it's not. That's the. You, you don't yeah. get the grief that uh-huh. you, the human grief you would get if your wife is dead. Yeah. Well, the line is, I think, is something like, 
What was that sound? Yes. I don't recognize. Yes. And, yeah. and the yes. guy goes, uh, the, the, the women are screaming. And he goes, huh, never would have recognized that noise. And he, he looks yeah. down the stairwell and she's just dead. Just and there. Yeah. And right. <laughs> and tomorrow and tomorrow yeah. and tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. But no, it's 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 interesting because it depends on how you want to interpret whatever. But there's no time for him to even think about anything yeah. uh-huh. because that poor kid comes back. Told you the woods are moving. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he practically kills the kid on the spot. Yeah. Uh-huh. So um, we get a final kind of meet up between Macduff and uh, Macbeth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they've got some great sword fighting, yeah, which and, really hasn't been an element until this point in the film. At and, least. and one thing that I had written down just in my notes as I was watching it too is that the portrayal of I Denzel in that sword fighting moment, he like he, I think he even like takes a sword to the face and he like does. and he's like and he's unscathed by it. And it's just a representation so of how of how like untouchable he he's feels. Delusional, he, right? He's so him. delusional yeah. about yeah. it. And and yeah. I well you, you can see kind of like even in just his movements that he is he is so supremely confident mm-hmm. and the 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 line has not yet come of being untimely mm-hmm. ripped. So the like the the kind of his mortality, he has not at any point kind of like forced to recognize that mortality and kind of never really does. Like right. he, he kind of holds on to that holds on to that that false confidence all the way through his death. Yeah. Yeah. Well and just one more filmmaking thing. There's two sword fights at the end. Mm-hmm. Oh, the one yeah. with Squidward or Sillard or whatever his name is, <laughs> which is filmed because Macbeth is going to win it. Uh-huh. it. It is completely in dark, and he is in light. Uh-huh. So they have the two actors fighting, and it's well lit from behind them, so you can see them. But the whole scenery is dark. It's mm-hmm. it's a brutal death. But then the lighting with the the final fight yeah. is completely in light. Mm. And as Macbeth is being backed up down this walkway, yeah. it's getting narrower as yep. though his uh-huh. whole... I love that. And, and the line, of course, this is where the twist is, yeah. that he goes, I can't be killed by anyone born of woman. And he was essentially birthed by Caesarian. Yes. But, like, the, the, the claustrophobia of the scene, the fog comes mm-hmm. back in. I loved that it's in a hallway because we're getting the... the, the it adds this tension to... The where they can't go anywhere. It's just right. the two of them. And it's it's forth. almost reminiscent of that corridor from before mm-hmm. as well that he mm-hmm. that he was making his way down at the moment that kind of started all of this that moment of opportunity and now all of this is it's it's almost kind of like on a bridge and now you're you're it's I, I think that calling it kind of like that claustrophobic moment is mm-hmm. definitely very accurate and then the and then he loses his crown and I thought that visually yeah. that was like that that's the first moment where he starts to where you you can see kind of like a little bit of shock come over his face because it's almost like a little bit of a chink in the armor and then he like the way that Macbeth dies I think is so very interesting that he's he dies not like not really like at knife point necessarily but he dies as he's reaching for the crown mm-hmm. and i think that that's so wow. powerful to me yeah. that it's a moment where he is reaching for kind of like this symbol of this this power that he was lusting after and to not not to get too kind of like symbolic and analytical with it but the that notion of the the hemartia that tragic flaw that brings down the character and of course romeo has his rashness and hamlet has his pause and uh and famously caesar has his hubris and what i've always taken as the hemartia that tragic flaw of macbeth is that lust for power oh, yeah. and so he dies that uh, as a direct 
impact of that moment where he is reaching for that symbol of that power. He's reaching for that crown, and that's the moment that he dies, not on the aggression, but in this moment where he's, he's th- that lust for power, that reaching for power, quite literally, directly leads to his death. And to what Betsy said earlier, he is so confident, he literally turns his back on someone with a sword in yeah. his hand. Yeah. Right? Like, right. And what we have at the end is literally the most graphic scene. Like, yeah. his head is physically cut off. Yes. And then Rhea to Ross with a head in one hand right. and a mm-hmm. crown in the other. And again, mm-hmm. Ross, who's sort of been orchestrating things behind the scenes, yes. to have him also bring the head back and the crown mm-hmm. is like, it's just perfect. Um, and yeah. he also has that moment right before, it's kind of like in that, that sleepwalk, I believe Lady Macbeth is like in the midst of that sleepwalking, and it's, it's like the, the castle is being sacked at the moment, right. and yet Lady Macbeth is still kind of like in the midst of that sleepwalking, and this, the I think that it's the, the actor who plays Lennox slash kind of like a couple of different characters, kind of like gives, all, it's, it's a very kind of like skewed look, and he looks kind of like almost out of the corner of his eye, and then very slowly slowly starts walking up the steps towards Lady Macbeth, almost implying yeah. kind of like that conspiracy aspect of mm-hmm. like, was was Lady Macbeth murdered, you know? And and yet he's still kind of this puppet master behind the string behind the scenes who's who's kind of pulling the strings all along. Yeah. Well and how does the play end? Well at least the movie version end. Uh, he gives the crown. He's the one who says, all hail King of Scotland. And then he's the one with Fleance at the end. Yeah. Right? He pays off the, the witch or whoever, the old man. Right. <laughs> uh, and then rides off into the distance with the kid. Mm-hmm. And he, you know he's going to be fine. Yeah. <laughs> he yeah. played the game exactly he right. He did. He did. And then crow cut to credit. I've never right. seen the crows at yeah. credit before. Yeah. Um, uh, but I guess what we should do is do it in two steps. First... Does this play belong as part of what we're doing? And then would you recommend the movie? So we'll start with you. Yeah, um, I, I definitely, I definitely think that the just for for all of the aspects of of kind of visually and it it almost like belongs in a cinematography class. I yeah. feel like mm-hmm. to the, just with all of the all of the the way that the lighting is being used, and I think that it's in some ways like like what I was talking about with the crown and the Haymartia. I think that it's it's kind of heavy handed in some ways, but in some ways that can be good to teach with. That can be good to like you you have a very very definite struggle with good and evil and the light and the dark and it's just played out in front of you visually. And I yeah. think for that reason both the text which I think is still the I mean to talk about a lust for power I think is is a pretty is a pretty universal and human um and, and kind of a, a, a human emotion and a human a, a human reaction. Certainly not to the to the point of murder, but 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 it's definitely something that we can all relate to. Yeah. But then I think that that visually, in terms of the in terms of the way that it was shot, I think that it that it can be used to teach in some ways. Um, and I think that that's that that's part of what makes it not only not only a good text, but also I think belongs kind of like in the teaching vernacular, so to speak. Excellent. Does he? Yeah, I, I continue to revisit the play. I think because it. I love, it's so satisfying to me that there are consequences to actions, you know? Um, I think early on when, right after he comes back from killing King Duncan, he says he can't complete the prayers, like the night prayers. Oh, yeah. You know, I don't, you know, I'm a theology teacher, so I pay attention to those things maybe more than other people, but I really find it satisfying to watch and, and, and take in 
stories mm-hmm. where there are we you know we see consequences to actions now i'm not talking about like i don't love like a morality play uh-huh. but that's what makes this makes this so fascinating is that it's not preaching at us about how to be a good person right. but it's showing that when you start to make choices like Macbeth does, you start to yeah, start to and it's and it the the I think that it's the if I'm not mistaken, the moment where he's saying like I couldn't say amen. Mm-hmm. Why couldn't I say amen? Right. It's like this gut wrenching moment. It's yeah. very it's very like emotional and very human. And I think that that's what leads to that catharsis too. Right. Mm-hmm. The, like ultimately that's what that's what these tragedies are trying to do is to get that trying to get that emotional purge. And I think that it's done in this play because when you have such elevated characters as kings and princes and thanes and it it can be difficult i think sometimes for that to be like an achievable catharsis but Mm -hmm. i think that when you have such a human character like you do with macbeth i think that it becomes very attainable and very relatable Mm -hmm. i mean i'll I'll just end it with saying yes you guys i agree um (laughs) i will say too as far as this production goes it's interesting how minimalistic it is yeah you mm-hmm. know I, I, in the 90s we had a lot of um kenneth Branagh productions oh, yeah and those are so indulgent <laughs> the hamlet the hamlet of <laughs> yeah. Branagh. which is like four and a half hours and right. it's beautiful but mm-hmm. like there's sure. nothing simple about it. even right. the olivier version is pretty indulgent mm-hmm. uh, the roman polanski version is excellent but it's also very big and over the top so right. the minimalism here is i think not only effective but it adds to the feeling of madness it feels mm-hmm. like vertigo or something oh for sure um now overall i'd say uh the the play obviously should it's uh, it's been 500 years guys it, I, I i will add nothing to that discourse <laughs> uh but i will say it's easily understandable yeah and in so. a way that a lot of them aren't mm-hmm. like this movie i didn't need to to have the text in front of me and mm-hmm. i understood it and you get the emotions and it's on the actors faces but the play also, it's sub two hours, or if it's the long version, it's 2.15. Yeah. That's a breeze, guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You should just pick it up, give it a shot, because it's easy to understand, but not, but but you won't feel bored by it. Right. So. Uh, anyway, thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for reviewing. Um, thanks for having us. You're welcome. Uh, we had someone read before. The monologue of Macbeth. I don't know who did it because I have three people who said they would do it. They haven't done it yet. But that sample was from a student yeah. uh, here. Oh, fun. oh nice. Yeah. Which which one is it? Uh, we're doing his whether I'm not a good or murdered. Duncan. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. We're doing that monologue. Uh, but we're going to try to incorporate a reading selection for each book we're doing from now on. Oh, cool. Um, so if you like that, let us know. Otherwise, I'll stop it. Uh, but yeah. in the meantime, cool. uh, we appreciate you listening, subscribing, and wherever you get it, please review us. Uh, Give us five stars. Thanks, guys.